0: If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29. Again, that's Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 29. Let's open in prayer. Father, again we come helpless. We come dependent upon you to instruct us. That your Holy Spirit would bring the illumination and the understanding to this text. We are your children. We want to know the wisdom of God and the things that we should know, that we would know how to walk and what to believe. So this morning we ask that you would speak to us. Speak to every one of us. And Lord, give us the boldness to speak the truth in love as we go into our communities this week. And all God's people said, Amen. Follow with me as I read verse 24 of our text. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I do my share on behalf of the body, which is the church, in the filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what the riches of his glory, the riches of his glory, and this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you and the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ." For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mighty works within me. As we come to this passage, uh, we we think back in verse 23, how Paul had described himself as a a servant of of the gospel. And and here we see him as a a minister. We see him as a, a steward, a steward of what God has entrusted him he is a, a servant and a steward, and he has a, a responsibility. That responsibility is to bring the word of God to people. And I've titled this message really as Ministry 101. See, Paul continually talks about the ministry. Paul's continually amazed that God has snatched him out of the fire, opened up his heart. He was a persecutor of the church, if you remember, and put him into this ministry. And Paul has this passion, this passion to finish that race, but to bring the Word of God that changes and transforms lives. And that's Paul's message. Well, look with me as we come again, and and we talk about this ministry 101, and I want to read from 1 1 Timothy chapter 1, you'll see it on the screen, verses 12 and 13, Paul writing again to Timothy, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was showing mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul never got tired of thanking God, being amazed that God put him into ministry. Every one of us here are ministers. Every one of us here today, if you have been born again, you're a missionary. You're either a missionary or you're the mission field. You too, as Paul, have a responsibility, a responsibility to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why he writes this continually. It's something that Paul talks about again and again and again. It is not meant to fall on deaf ears, but to motivate us, to encourage us, and to redirect us and move us along in that ministry because the people need to know who Jesus Christ is. But Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, the life. There's no way the Father but through me. We have the message of the truth. Jesus is that truth. He is that way. And we are to bring that message to a world that does not know him. There was a gentleman I was sharing with. And and I said, you know what makes Christianity unique? And I don't remember if these were the exact words. Is the fact that Jesus Christ claimed to be God himself. And the man says, no he didn't. And he wanted to argue about it and I wanted to open up the scripture and I I described where it's at and I just recognized that this man did not want to know the truth. That is the truth that would set him free. And sometimes that's what people want. They don't want to know the truth. And that's a time that we just stop and we move on and the scripture makes it clear that we don't throw pearls before the swine. not referring to the fact that he's a pig but the fact is he's not going to appreciate it is not what he wants to hear. He has another agenda. It is not that he didn't know God Romans talks about it, but he suppressed that truth. And God turns a person like that when they reject God, he hardens their heart because they've already hardened their heart, and he turns them over to a reprobate mind. That means a mind that doesn't work. And we need to pray when we go out. We need to pray for our neighbors, for our family, for our friends. God, open up their hearts that they might know who you are. Well, look with me in verse 23 and verse 25. We're going to look at part of those verses and and begin with me. It says, the gospel which I, Paul, was made a minister of the church which I made to minister according to that stewardship bestowed upon me. See, Paul closed that last section on faith. He closed it again on the gospel, but that's the saving truth. And that's the truth that he's going to bring. Verse 25, he repeats that thought again that he was made this minister. Christ being the the head of the church. He is the head of the church. He is the one that we look to. He's the one that we look for guidance. We do not run ahead of him. We wait for him. We follow him. We let him make the decisions. We acknowledge what he reveals, whether it be in his word whether it be through circumstances, through brothers and sisters, and it will always line up with the Word of God. Now, it wasn't Paul's will in the beginning ever to be a minister of Jesus Christ. In fact, on the contrary, he was headed the opposite direction. He was looking to be the upper echelons, let's say, of Judaism. His credentials, well, they they were impressive. In fact, Philippians 3, 5, and 6 says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Paul was confident. If there was anyone that could ever keep the law, come close, Paul was the one It was this confident. But yet God brought him to the end of himself. It was on that road to Damascus, if you remember, that he was going to persecute Christians, that God stopped him. Sincere in his faith, but sincerely wrong. And I believe in your life, in my life, there are people around us that they're very sincere about their faith, and and they'll say that they're spiritual, and that word is a buzzword. But a person when they say they're spiritual doesn't mean they know Jesus Christ. A person must be born again and when he's born again he has this new spirit it's that spirit that connects with god god has placed people to be a witness a testimony of who he is we talk about when we go out there whether we're in the restaurants or we're at again meeting in the prayer meetings or however it would be the ministry of presence just being around others they need to see authentic real christians One of the reasons people don't come to church, I've heard so many times, is because the church is full of hypocrites. Sometimes we're not the church. We focus on coming to church. It's about being the church seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And what the church does, yes, they congregate together. Yes, they talk about Jesus. Yes, they praise Him. Yes, they exalt Him. But they look to follow the shepherd of their hearts. That's what they need to see. It's that that allows us that right. It earns that right when they see you and me. To see what Christianity looks like. To see Christ because we are his light. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And this is what Paul became. And he couldn't see it at first until God opened up his eyes. Let me show you in Acts seven, fifty-eight. Notice what it says. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witness began to lay aside the robes at the feet of a young man, Saul. Remember, his name was Saul. Saul, This again, this one that was moving up in the ranks of the Pharisees. The one that would probably have been the, the leader of the Sanhedrin unless God had stopped him. And I love that when I see someone even though they don't know the Lord, but they're really sincere in their faith because just like Saul, if they're really seeking the truth, God says, when you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Saul was really seeking God and seeking to do God's will. And he stopped him. And that's how that conversion happened. So again, in Acts 22.10, let me read. And I said, I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go to Damascus, and there you'll be told told all that has been appointed for you to do. Now, we look at this as the Apostle Paul. Saul became Paul. He's appointed. He's appointed to be an apostle. He's this one that's placed in this authority. He's the one that would write much of the New Testament books. But let me tell you, just as Saul is called... You and I have been called, and each of us are appointed a ministry. You'll either say no to God, or you will move in that ministry. You will disqualify yourself, not God. Because God wants to use you. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And people often say, well, I, I can't read, or I can't do this, or I don't have that boldness. If you come to God and say, God use me, God will equip you. God will make you that man. God will make you that woman. If you say, Lord, bring someone into my life that I might be able to disciple, that I might love, I might encourage, I might build up. And you know what? That is God's will. And God will bring someone into your life. Now, what he might have to do is prepare you. Anyone need to be prepared today? Every one of us. In fact, he is preparing you today for tomorrow, and tomorrow for the next day, and on. And not only that, he's preparing you for all eternity. So that part is to just simply say, Lord, use me. And if you haven't prayed that, even in the silence of your heart right now, you need to stop and say, now, Lord, use me. Because that's what born-a-Christians do. They say, Lord, use me. That we need to realize we have a responsibility to tell the world. Somebody had been praying for you, somebody had been a alive, someone had been a witness. God chose Saul in the ministry to bring to the Gentiles, to write much of the book. He may have not called you to do that, but he's called you to a ministry. And that's what this is about, is ministry 101. Now if you have been born again, you have a testimony. Paul gives his testimony in the book of Acts three times three times. Now you may not know the, the Bible and it's entirely, you may not know what to say at the, the right moment, you may say, but you have a testimony. Your life is changed. You were blind, but now you see and you begin with that testimony. You begin with John 3.16 and as you begin to share with that person, as you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, God begins speaking through you and you will be amazed. Now what kind of God do you serve? well what do you mean by that? you say, is he a big god or is he a little god? We serve a big god at least I do and if you serve that same God, he is not just big, he is giant, he is great he's bigger than all your problems, and when you do not have finances, he can provide finances and God wants to do some. He will give you the faith. He will give you the power. You just have to say, Lord, I want to see you move. I want to see your name exalted. Now, not just one person. Stop and think. He has called out us as a group. It's not about a pastor. Please believe that. We are the body of Christ, we are His light. We are His hands, His feet, His mouth. You cannot play hokey pokey. One day you're a Christian, shake your leg in and take it out. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And Christians congregate. Christians talk about Jesus. Christians want others to know who Jesus Christ is. Christians want to magnify the name, glorify God. Christians look for the opportunity to pray for people. To encourage people. Now maybe you're afraid. I remember the first time that I I prayed with someone and I was very nervous and I was in a big church and and there was like door one we used to call it, door two and door three and I was standing at door one, and I was I was an usher there and and someone came out during the service and she was uh, just streaming in tears, and she went out to her car, and I never prayed with anyone that that's kind of that's kind of difficult for some people. And you think, difficult for me? Yes, difficult for me. And I asked someone to cover the door and I went out for the first time in my life. I just prayed. But let me tell you, it wasn't me. It was God working in me and working through you. He was giving me the words in my mind and my heart and I spoke them and it ministered to that woman that day. All you have to do is be available. Saul became Paul. He chose to be available. Look at 2 Timothy 1.11. Notice what it says. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Paul was called to proclaim the very word of God. Paul was apostle. He was a leader. He was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. Paul performed signs and wonders that authenticate the apostle. While there's many that call themselves apostles today, only in a missionary sense are they apostles. Paul was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, taught by Jesus Christ for three years in Arabia. The scripture makes it clear. He was a preacher. He was apostle. Now the preacher is kind of proclaiming, uh, evangelistic, but he was a teacher. And teaching is one of the greatest needs today, to edify and build up the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that a little more in a little while. And Paul sought no glory for himself. In a sense, he kept his hands off it. He he didn't want the glory. All he wanted to do was exalt Jesus Christ. Look with me in, in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner servants of Christ, stewards of the mystery of God, And in this case, moreover, it is required the stewards to be found trustworthy. Another translation puts it this way, the faithful. Paul wanted to be faithful. Paul would talk about elsewhere that he wanted to finish the race well. Paul knew he had this responsibility. One day, every one of us here, every believer, will stand at that Bema seat. That Bema seat is a reward seat. Our sins was judged upon the cross. But one day you and I will stand at that behemoth seat and there will be rewards given out or no rewards. You'll enter into the kingdom. You'll hear there if you have been faithful and trustworthy, you'll hear those words, good and faithful servant. He is giving you gifts. He's giving you abilities. He's giving you opportunities. Will you use them for the glory of God that you hear those words, good and faithful servant? And that was Paul's desire. In fact, when you desire to say, Lord, use me, make me faithful, he is the one that makes you faithful. It means you have to make a commitment and you have to step to the plate. It means you have to be available. You have to choose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and know that he'll take care of everything else in your life. We're going to focus upon worshiping God and we're going to let him put those pieces together. And little by little, he's bringing those pieces together. And you know what? He's always right on time. You ever notice that? We, we think, I need it now, need it now. And he'll stretch you a little more when it's impossible for you even to put the pieces together. And you know it's God. And that's a joy. Look again, 1 Corinthians 9. Verses 16 and 17. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I'm under compulsion. A woe to me if I do not preach that gospel. For if I do it voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have stewardship entrusted in me. And that's what Paul saying. Woe to him if he doesn't preach, proclaim the gospel of who Jesus Christ is. It's the greatest joy when you begin to share. And you can experience that same feeling. Some people, they begin to share the faith, and when they're not sharing the faith, they seem to dry up. When they're not in the middle of God's will, they dry up. Well, man, when they're in God's will, they're blossoming. There's a fragrance about them, and truly, that's what Paul's talking about here. Just as Paul will stand accountable, as I mentioned, at that Bemis seat, you and I will stand accountable for every idle word, every idle action, everything that we've done for the glory of God. If you were to stand at that of seat today, what words would you hear? Would you hear those words, good and faithful? Have you began that race and, and you're well on the way to finishing that race well? It requires effort. It requires discipline. It requires a heart after the Lord. Well, notice again in verse 24 that First three words now, I rejoice. What we see here is really the spirit of the ministry. Ministry is never boring. No, it's not boring to study the Word. If, If it's boring to you when you're in the Word, there's something wrong in your relationship with the Lord. Because the Lord speaks to you. The Lord encourages you. The Lord reveals these things. There's times, yes, there's dry times. Sometimes it's because of sin in our life. Sometimes it's God is just leading us into the wilderness, just as Jesus was led in the wilderness, wanting to draw you into a closer and, and deeper relationship. But when you've known, when you've tasted of Him, you want more, and you can't help but rejoice. That's how James said it. So easy. Consider a joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing the test of your faith produces endurance. God is at work in your hearts. And our part is just to simply give ourselves over to him. Here I am, Lord. That's what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. Now look with me in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. It says, fixing your eyes upon Jesus. Notice the author, perfecter of your faith who the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father, for consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus joyfully went to the cross. Does anyone want to joyfully go to a cross and hang on a cross? Jesus knew that his death would bring life. Unless there was death, there would be no life. In fact, when you're born again, there must be a death here before you acknowledge Jesus Christ. When you choose to die to yourself, you are born again. When you choose to let him be the Lord of your life, it means sometimes persecution. It means affliction at times. And all who desire to live godly will be persecuted it is coming to this country it is here in some places unless you hide the word of heart the word of God in your heart unless you are truly a believer you will be apostate that will leave that's why the scripture says make sure examine yourselves make sure your election is is sure that you are a child of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9. We're afflicted in every way, not crushed or perplexed, but despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul was confident he was in Christ. He was kept by the power of God, and you too would be kept by the power of God. No matter what you're going through, he will keep you till that day. Look at Philippians 2.17, it says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrifice, a, a service of your hope, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. See, Paul's life was being poured out. Now, I don't believe there's a mother here or a father here that wouldn't pour their life out for their own children. And the Bible makes it clear there's no greater love than one who would lay down his life another paul was laying down his life for those around the brethren the jewish people that were rejecting the hebrew people but the gentiles as well not only them he laid down his life for you and me because we now have the word of god that's brought generation after generation and as he said follow me as i follow christ many followed in those same footsteps follow the same way that christ did joyfully going to the cross for you and me. That's why in Luke 9, when he says, if anyone want to come after me, he must deny himself. That means you and I have agenda before we come to Christ. I'm going to be attorney, you might say, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be the give it over to the Lord. Let the Lord direct and guide those paths. I've known so many people were going to do this and they're going to do that. And then when they did it, they realize, this is what I was made for. This is what God has prepared me for. I'm becoming everything that God would have me be, even in my own life. When I returned to Hawaii, I, I never knew that I was going to be a pastor. It wasn't my desire. But it was God's plan. I would have been Jonah and ran. But now that I have become a pastor, I can open the word, I can pray with people, ter- encourage people, and build people up. And that's what Paul is showing us. It's, it's, it's Spirit-led because the Spirit comes in you and the, the Spirit is leading you and filling you with this joy. Look with me in 20, verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Notice this, for your sake. In my flesh, I do my share on the behalf of the body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking of afflictions. It's interesting. What does Paul mean? The Apostle Paul mean by this. I mean, certainly didn't Christ die on the cross once for all? The work, he said, is finished. But there's still a work that needs to be done. Not the work of atonement that Jesus did, but a work. See, that when you and I suffer for Christ... Church history shows it again and again. Many people come into the kingdom of God. The scripture is clear. When people hate you, they Jesus says they hated me first, and they hate you. They hate you because of Jesus Christ. And there's persecution at times. So there is a suffering that occurs. And when you decide to stand for righteousness, their persecution will often follow. So there's this sense, again, that he's filling up what is lacking. Not lacking in atonement, but Jesus knew he had a ministry. The ministry first was to go to the cross. And on the way to the cross, that he would have disciples. Not only would he have disciples, he would have 12 unique ones. And of those 12, he would have three that would be called that inner circle. And that he then would equip them and train them. And prepare them for the time that he would go. What's interesting, Saul, when Saul was on that road to Damascus, if you remember in Acts chapter 9, he struck down with this bright light. And notice what he says Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The Lord's speaking from the heavens. Saul wasn't consciously aware that he was persecuting the Lord. He'd only been persecuting Christians. But he learned when he was persecuting Christians, persecuting believers, he was persecuting the Savior, Jesus Christ who died for him. Every time that you suffer, you go through affliction, there's a Christian that has been beheaded in an Arab country we're in China or Korea, God grieves. And every time that someone in another country is persecuted, Christians grieve because there are brothers and their sisters in faith. If you were here when they shared about the chaplains that they raise up again in Sudan. Losing 22 of those chaplains in the last few years. And you probably heard his heart. It broke his heart because he knew these men and he loved these men. There is affliction that you and I suffer. There is this suffering for the sake of Christ because they're willing to boldly stand for the faith to be that witness. And we are to stand with our brothers. We're to stand with our sisters. See, Paul's suffering meant that he was suffering with Christ. As Christ suffers, as he grieves over those people that heard Paul suffered too. And Paul was willing to give his life and suffer, knowing that others would come into the kingdom. And that's what Paul said when he, writing about the Hebrews, if you remember. I'd give up my salvation if it was possible, if, if the nation of, of, of the, the Jews would come to that saving knowledge. He had that heart. He's willing to endure at whatever cost. See, this is something that God works in our heart. This is love being perfected in each one of us. That we would deny ourselves and give ourselves over. It's not about our agenda. It's about his agenda. It's about seeing people come into the kingdom and we'll be with them for all eternity. Philippians one twenty nine says this, For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also suffer for his sake. In many countries around the world you cannot have a Bible. You cannot give a Bible away. You can't pray. You can't even reach out in some countries. But will you stand for righteousness or will you give in to the ways of the world? Will you compromise and become like the world? That's the choice. You'll either suffer for Christ. You will suffer for Christ. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. There's a question, are you being persecuted? How are you being persecuted if you are? If you're not, you're not living that faith the way God would have you live. It is a fact. All who desire to live godly, you will stand out in the crowd. People will see you. You will be different and they will not like it because it convicts them and they will hate you for your beliefs. Well, suffering brings believers closer to Christ. Whether it be a a physical suffering just being in this world or, or, or for your faith, It drives you into the arms of a Savior who loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never leave you and never forsake you. Suffering assures the believer that he belongs to Christ, that you know that your faith is real and that you're kept by that power of God. Suffering brings future rewards. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For momentary light infliction is producing for us eternal weight of glory far beyond any comparison. Fourthly, suffering can result in salvation for others. As I mentioned, church history shows that many have come into the kingdom the result of seeing someone willing to die for their faith. If persecution comes to this country and Jesus doesn't come soon, you'll have a choice to live or die for your faith. The reality of of this, this, this country we're in, is not much different than a lot of countries in a lot of ways. Here's the picture I want you to see. Every country in the world will turn against Israel and there's going to be that final battle. How will you react? What will you do for the name of Jesus Christ? Will you stand for righteousness? And that's important to understand. 2 Timothy 2.10 says this, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Fifthly, suffering frustrates Satan. See, he wants to bring out the worst in you. He wants to punish you. But man, when you rejoice... When you know it's to be absent the bodies to be present with the Lord, when the when you find comfort in the Lord, it frustrates the heck out of Satan. Notice Isaiah 61, three. Notice what it says. To appoint unto them on Mount Zion to give unto them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy of mourning. Basically what's saying God takes beauty out of ashes. When you suffer, God's not only refining you, he's showing you and showing the world the beauty that he's done in you. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says this, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Well, look with me in verse 25. We see the scope of the ministry that I might carry out the preaching of the word of God. This was so important that Paul would teach the Word of God. He would proclaim it. He would be the evangelist. But he would teach it. And this is important to understand. Acts twenty, twenty-four, in verse 27. But I do not consider my life any account as dear to me, so that I may finish the course, the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of grace of God. For I did not shrink from declaring the whole purpose of God's Word. See, what it means is, Here's a Bible, 66 books. Now, they didn't have 66 books, but what Paul had at that time, he gave them everything. He held nothing back from them that was good. He gave them the whole counsel of God's Word. That's why we teach the whole Bible. That's why we teach it verse by verse. That's why we model it so that you would teach it and study it and read and take it and hide it in your heart. Because you need the whole counsel of God's word, and this is important to understand. Because Paul, like Jesus, Paul limited his ministry, and you know why we see lots of great things do. He only did God's will. Jesus only did God's will. Notice what it says here in John five thirty. I can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I did not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. See. Jesus came to do the Father's will. And that's what Paul's will was just like Jesus. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. He was learning from Jesus. He was taught by Jesus. And when you are in the Bible, when you submit yourself to him, he will teach you. Even today, it's the Holy Spirit that takes the words I speak and he's the one that opens your heart He's the one that teaches you. He's the one that will guide you in all truth. Second, Jesus limited his ministry to God's timing. Jesus would never run ahead of the Father. Three times he talks about that. It's not my time. It's not my time. And that's what we try to do is wait and follow. Not run ahead, but follow. Jesus was conscious of that time, that calling. Yes, what he was going to do. But he was going to wait and let the Lord, the Father, put it together. Thirdly, Jesus limited his ministry to God's objective. Let me show you. Matthew 5.24, or 15.24, excuse me. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He had a ministry. It was was again to the Jewish nation first. He was the Messiah. He was the King of the Jews. He came to His own, but they received Him not. That was the scope of His ministry. That's what God had called Him. That was the objective. This is very important. Jesus, while He would die upon the cross, His ministry wasn't to the whole world then, but the ministry is given to you that we are to go into all parts of the earth and carry on what Jesus did not do was not called to do. Paul knew, really, the target zone, the objective that he had. Fourthly, Jesus, his ministry was limited uh, to God's kingdom. He refused to be drawn into political controversials of the day. You know, Christianity is not about politics. People can argue and get angry about politics all day, and why we should be aware, and yes, we need to vote. But I'm going to tell you, more than politics, people need Jesus Christ. And if people are born again, and people are living that Christ-like life, they will be voting. There will be Christian leaders raised up. Our agenda is not to convert our government. Our agenda is to fulfill the great commission that's our agenda now if we see something that violates god's principle yes we speak yes we stand for righteousness but we stand in love boldly and graciously speak with words seasoned with grace matthew twenty-two twenty-one says this and they said to him uh, that is caesar's then he said to him then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. What is God's? If you've been born again, it's your heart. It's your life. That's what you're to give to God, your heart, not to the government. Not to your job, that your job becomes everything to you. And I know before I become a believer, my my business to be truthful and I'm ashamed of now was my God. I was living for my business. But when a person is born again, Jesus becomes their Lord and they have a new agenda, a new reason to live. Jesus limited himself to God's people. He realized he, he couldn't pour himself into everyone but only a few men and that's why he chose that twelve and that inner circle and he poured into them. Now some people have that, that, that grace where they can speak for, for Thousands. And there were times when Paul would speak. But you gotta remember what God has called you to. Some people is just one on one, some before larger groups of people, but know where God has called you, and know the group that He's called you to. Look at verses twenty six and twenty-seven. Really the subject of the ministry, that is the ministry which has been hidden from the past and the ages and the generations, but now notice that word now has been manifested to his saints. Who are his saints? Every person who's been born again is set apart for him. Set apart from this world unto God. Well, to whom God willed to make known, that is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, and the hope of glory. The secret here is really God's election. God's election of the the Gentiles in the church. It's It's about people, and it's about a group of people as, again, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people would be blinded for the sake of the Gentiles, we now are to be that light on the hill. We are to, to bring the message to the world. And we bring the message to Jews and Gentiles and Buddhists and Hindus and wherever God would lead you and me. Well, again, so the people, the people, the lack, they're people and even groups. The church is elect. We are that light. And the church is not a building. The church is the people. What is the phrase in you? It might mean in your midst. And at times it does. And it means within you. So to you, it speaks individually to you that he's in you as a believer. But in the church, he's in our midst. God with us. He is here today. He's watching how we focus upon him, how we're responding to Him. He's praying for you and for me. The truth has now been manifested. It was a, a mystery before. There are, there are the secret things of God. In fact, Deuteronomy 29.29 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of His law. The law, tender loving commandments, but it reveals His nature. Please understand that. Again in Psalm 25, 14, notice the secret of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He will make them know His covenant. Fear, not like hiding from Him, but reverence Him, that are in awe of Him. That if you are in awe of God and who He is, God will reveal secrets to you. This is the knowledge, the attitude that we come to Him. See, Christ indwells every believer. He is the source of the hope, the glory. He's the subject. He's the theme. He is the gospel. And the, the gospel ministry is all about Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, what he's done for you and me. Listen to Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise and given a pledge of inheritance, the view of the redemption of God's own possession, the praise and glory. Christ has sealed you and me, the Holy Spirit. You are kept until that day, and one day He's going to call you up. He's going to say to you, you're closer to my home than yours. Come home to be with me. Would anyone like that today? I would. I mean, I want to finish the race that He set before me, but at the same time, the better thing is to be with Jesus, isn't it? To see him, to see his handprints, to to see the, the, the nail prints in his feet, to know his love in a way that we can't in this way. Notice the style of ministry in verse 28. And we proclaim to him, admonishing every man, teaching every man, notice with all wisdom. Paul's passion really is to proclaim him. that should be the passion of every believer to tell others about Jesus Christ what has Jesus Christ done in your life he's changed my life forever and that's true of every believer Paul proclaimed this truth publicly he was not ashamed He, he didn't restrict himself from sharing what God had done In fact, he looked for every opportunity. Paul's proclamation was one of negative and one of positive. One it was admonishing. Admonishing speaks sometimes encouraging counsel in view of sin and and coming punishment, exhorting them, uh, admonishing them to put off the sin. Put on Christ. And this is the responsibility of every church leader. And in fact, every church. Not only the church, it's you and me. If you see a brother in sin, you are to go to him. If you love him, you will go to him. You cannot say you love him and let a brother continually walk in sin and not try and reach him. It may be true. He does not want to hear from you. But you reach out. You show the love of Jesus Christ. Acts 20.31, notice what it says. Therefore, be alert remembering that day and night for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. You know, sometimes you have to admonish people and it hurts. Your heart grieves because you love them and you want the best for them and you want them to get out of that rut and back onto that path. Paul modeled that. Not only did he model it, he taught it. See, teaching refers to that part of that positive truth. And it's a a responsibility of every believer, Colossians three sixteen says it is a responsibility of every believer. In Matthew twenty eight twenty, we're given that great commission to go out in all the world to teach them what's right, teach them what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right, teach them who Jesus Christ is. But it's especially responsible of the leadership of the church. If it's not happening in the leadership of the church, it's not going to happen in the congregation. It has to be modeled, and that's what Paul did. He modeled it. See, an overseer must be able to teach and to teach the whole counsel of God's Word. To be ready in season and out of season. See, admonishing and teaching must be done, notice what it says in the text, with all wisdom. All wisdom. Well, that's having an understanding of the biblical principles you know, for holy conduct. Well, look at Colossians 3.16 with me. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We need to hide the word in our and the Holy Spirit can bring that word out. This is really the pattern for every ministry, whether it's a congregation of saints or it's on the mission field, or some type of ministry to men or women is admonishing and teaching because it's what the Word of God says. Now some people just say, you know what, Uh, I don't like to confront people. Let me tell you, I don't like to confront people either. But if you love them, you will speak the truth in love. Let's look at the summation of the ministry, verse 28. That we may present every man complete in Christ. This is the goal of ministry. It's not large numbers. It's not just evangelism. No, the goal is bringing everybody to completion in Christ. It's bringing them to maturity. Matthew 5, Jesus calls the believers to be telos, just like their father. We are to be mature, to be complete, to be holy like God. See, that's really the picture. James expects believers to be moving in this direction, assisted by divine wisdom in James chapter 1. That's the focus, moving wisdom in the word of God gives that wisdom. The term telus indicates one who is morally upright, obedient to God. But it doesn't ever speak about a person who makes a mistake. Because every one of us will make mistakes. But this wisdom, really, the wisdom of God when you're in the Word of God, what it does is it teaches us to navigate through those trials and those circumstances and those temptations that God is glorified. And that shows the maturity. One day, every one of the saints will be presented, complete, finished. That's the summation of ministry. Let Let me read from Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 13. Notice on the screen. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor teachers, for notice the equipping of the saints for the work of service to... The building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and a statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. One day he'll finish that work in you and me. In 2 Timothy 2.2, notice what it says. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who are able to teach also others. So the question becomes for the men. Are you faithful men? Can you be entrusted with the word of God? Will you then sit down and and disciple and teach? Go out and be available to God. That's what Paul was always looking for. That's what we're looking for. Those who will say, Lord, use me. In 2 Timothy 3.16-17, notice what it says. All scriptures inspired by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so the man of God will be adequately equipped for every good work. You know when Paul was talking about that when he says all scripture? He wasn't speaking about the New Testament because it wasn't written. Only a few books are written. He was talking about the Old Testament. Some people say, I'm a New Testament Christian. If you're a Christian, you're to be like Christ. And Christ is on every page of the Bible. Notice the strength of the ministry as we finish with this last verse. Verse 29 says, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to the power which mightily works within me. Paul, when he uses this word, I labor, it means to the point of exhaustion. One pastor many years ago, back in the 1800s, he wanted to to remember that ministry is to be hard. Sometimes it's really easy to just hang out with people, just to talk story. Every day he would put on a pair of work boots and he would sit at his desk to remind him, this is to be work. It's not just to be easy. To be diligently every day in the Word and prayer and studying the Word and rightly dividing that truth yes we are with the people but it is a ministry in his work and Paul says I labor knows he's striving according to his power he's not doing on his own power he's doing on the power of the spirit as he agonizes the spirit that is giving him that strength it's a spirit that's given him that success just as a again someone who is in a tra- strives. They give everything they can. Paul's saying, I give everything I can, all my energies. And then the Holy Spirit enables him to finish the race, and he will enable you to finish that race. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but notice the grace of God in me. As you simply give yourself to Christ, it's Christ that will give you the grace, the strength, and move you on. See, that's why Paul could say it in Galatians, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, Paul was very aware that God was in him. That God was strengthening him, God was leading him, and sustaining him. See, that's what happens when you give yourself to Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm not saying a sinner's prayer right now. But when you say, Lord, take me, use me. Lord, if I need discipline, discipline me. Give me the desire to be in your word. Give me that desire that I want to serve you and I want to use you. Because honestly, you can be honest with the Lord. I don't want to. And he will give you that desire. And then he will move you along. In the final verse, Philippians 4.9, he says, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's life was ministry. Now I called it Ministry 101. And when I started, you're, you're either a minister today, you're a missionary today, or you're the mission field. This is the life that we're giving our life first to Jesus Christ. If He's the Lord of your life, it is a life that follows Him. Just as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, that we should be able to say to others, follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say that? It's not talking about perfection. No. God will perfect you. It's just saying, here I am. I want to magnify your name. Use me. And God used Paul in an incredible way. And if you want to see his glory, and you want to be used... He will use you. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for these precious saints. I thank you for the love that you have given us and you extend to us each day your love, your grace, your mercies that are due every morning. Lord, we ask that you lead us and guide us today. God, that you give us fresh, new desires in our hearts that Lord, that we would live for you, that we would just give ourselves completely to you, that Lord, that there'd be no question, are we saved? There's no question whether we're believers or not, or whether we trust in Jesus Christ. God, use our lives, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.